Good morning. I guess my greatest apprehension this morning is uh, the technology. Are we going to be up here? There we are. There we are. I have the uh, the honor and the uh, duty of bringing the, le the lesson this morning in John's absence. And you might have noticed that our pews are back in their scriptural position <laughs> after some very creative and innovative lessons by John. We're so blessed to have he and Amy here. And he brings such memorable, unforgettable lessons in unique ways. A number of years ago, and it was a number of years ago, I was a teenager, I was listening to a radio program, a gospel program called The Herald of Truth out of Abilene. And on that particular day and that sermon, there was a scripture that was read that just profoundly affected me. And it had such power and such compelling force that I remembered where it was and later memorized it. And I've used this scripture down through my teaching occasions. And I had never forgotten it. But I'd never developed a lesson from this scripture. And I hope this morning that it will have the same impact on you as it did on me. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. After one of the Russian cosmonauts had made a startling orbital flight, a banquet was given in his honor. And some of our military personnel were invited to attend. He very arrogantly assured his comrades that in his historic journey, he didn't see God anywhere. He just wasn't to be found. Well, after patiently listening to his uh, experience and atheistic conclusion, finally, one of our captains said to him, you would have, sir, had you stepped out of your spaceship. The only thing, it would have been a little too late then. In the 19th century, there's a German philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, an atheist, and he said he went looking for God. But he didn't find him either. And so a philosophy called nihilism was born. The word means nothingness. He declared and made the pronouncement that God is dead. He's just not there. That we came from nothing, by nothing, for nothing. Our life is just a brief journey from nothingness to nothingness. Jean-Paul Sartre said at the same, in the same vein, 
He said, we're just empty bubbles floating on a sea of nothingness. Well, Nietzsche did not find God, perhaps because he was looking in the wrong way. But his philosophy profoundly influenced the world, and it affected you and I, because Adolf Hitler adopted this atheistic conclusion and embraced it. He said that God is dead, and people began to believe it. He was murdered by the Enlightenment, that period of time when man's reason began to supplant his superstition and finding explanations, natural explanations for everything rather than it being the wrath of God. As Jerry read to us, another man went seeking God, and this was David, King David. And he declared that there was no place he could hide, there's nowhere he could go, there was no darkness too dark, no distance too great, no sea too deep, where he could escape from the presence of God. Now here are three people that went looking for God. One of them was looking with his eyes, and he didn't find him. We live by faith and not by sight. The other one was searching for him with his mind and intellect. He didn't find him. We live by faith, not by comprehension, not by understanding. And the third went looking for him with his heart, and he found him, because that's where God can be found. That's the dwelling place of God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is Mount Everest, the highest peak on the face of the earth. And your heart is the closest you can come to Almighty God. That is the source and the fundamental basis of our being. It is that which is identified with God. We're created in His image, and that image is not mental. It's not our ability to think. That image is our heart, our ability to love. God said, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There are two central teachings in the Scriptures, and they're very important. One is that mankind is created in the image of God. And the second is that man's body is created to be the temple of God. Violence and hatred deface the image of God. Sensuality and perversion profane the temple of God. And both of these are barriers to God entering the human heart. If we want to find God, we have to search Him with our heart. Blessed or the pure in heart, for they will see God. God sees hearts as we see faces. The call of the prophet Isaiah is a summons to seize an opportunity to act while that possibility to act exists. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him while he is within hearing distance. We cannot repeat a journey through time. There's just one trip from time to eternity. Someone has said that our life is like receiving the gift of a very valuable coin. You can spend it any way you wish, 
but you can only spend it once. And a misspent life is one of the most tragic things that can occur. The principle of urgency is emphasized over and over again in the Bible. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, I tell you that now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The writer of Hebrews says, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Jesus told his disciples, we must work while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. The opportunity presents itself now to seek the Lord while he may be found. The scripture reveals four very profound truths. One is that God exists. Secondly, that he is near to us. And thirdly, we have the obligation to seek him. And fourth, he can be found. He can be found. We need to recognize the truth that God's existence or non-existence is essential to defining everything else in life. I was taught in speech classes, sermon classes, that you had to reduce your lesson or your sermon down to one sentence. It's called the proposition. And so the totality of this lesson is captured in this one sentence, which is the essence of the passage in Isaiah, that life is your opportunity to prepare yourself for the presence of God by removing evil from your life and placing your complete trust in him. Just three words. This whole lesson, to seek, to change, and to trust. Seeking God is finding a purpose in life. In Paul's speech to the Athenians, he refers to an altar known and dedicated by the Athenians to the unknown God. And then he proceeds to tell them about the unknown God. And Paul tells us that this is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's, he's the designer of all things. He set the boundaries for mankind. He is the one who has done this for the specific purpose. This whole enterprise is so that men might seek after him and reach out for him, though he is not far from each one of us. That's the mission statement for creation. That's the reason you're sitting here. That's why we exist. We are here because God is there. And this little phrase, not far, is very important. Not far means that every individual can have a personal relationship with God, and that's what he desires, because we have a unique connection with God. We're created in his image. Our heart becomes the tablet of his law. Our bodies become the temple he can dwell in. His kingdom is the domain of the human heart. You know, it's part of the human experience to always be in pursuit of something. We're either seeking security or power or possessions 
or fame or education. We're always pursuing something. That's just the human situation. Human quests, though, go far beyond any biological necessity. We crave, we covet, we reach out to get our dreams and to try to achieve our goals. But the thing that we don't realize sometimes is that whenever we finally get there, we may realize that there is no there, there. We're deceived. A number of years ago, I was watching this movie, very gripping movie, with Al Pacino playing a drug lord. The name of the movie was Scarface. And his, the character he plays finally achieves the pinnacle of power. He has mansions. He has millions of dollars. He has power and respect. And then there's a scene of him sitting in a nightclub with a gloomy look on his face, and he asks, is this all there is? Is this all there is? When you get there, you may realize there is no there there. I was reading a Texas newspaper. One article attracted my attention because this happened at a school that I attended there in TCU in Fort Worth. A young man who is the grandson of one of the richest men in the United States, 21 years old. The rich man is T. Boone Pickering. Some of you may have heard of him. 21-year-old grandson, a junior in college. He had it all, but it wasn't enough. He wanted to get high on some kind of a substance, so he got injected, and now he's dead. We're always seeking something, not realizing that the things we have are so precious and so valuable. Our life is like a ship. And the ultimate question of our existence is why are we here? We wouldn't put a ship at sea without a rudder, a compass, or a cargo, or some reason, or some purpose. But every person's life is like a ship. There are three questions that must be answered. The first question is, how do you keep the ship from sinking? How do you take care of yourself? God gives us warning signals so that this does not happen, so that we will not end up like the coast of Concordia. One of the most expensive and disastrous cruise ship disasters in the history of cruising. There was a young captain, or a man, young man that had a captain's rating in my home last week, and I said, Patrick, how could this happen? How could a ship like that run into rocks? And he said, it is inconceivable with the technology that they have and with the warning signals. I, I said, you mean they had warnings? Yes, warning signals going on. 30 people lost their lives, millions of dollars lost. God gives us warning signals for our bodies, how to take care of them. The second question that must be answered is how do you keep from bumping into other people, running into somebody else, social graces, not offending people, not alienating people. Jackie and I were, was on a cruise ship one time going down the Mississippi, and we bumped into a barge. 
I can still see that captain shaking his angry fist at us, mad as he and I don't blame him. But the third question that must be answered is why is the ship on the ocean anyway? What's it doing there? What's the purpose for our being? And the Bible tells us the purpose is so that we might reach out and seek him who created us and have a personal relationship with him. We are here not because of some cosmic accident or some accidental self-assemblage. We are the offspring of a personal God who created us in his image. Seeking God is departing from evil. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. A person who would seek God with evil intentions in his heart, ulterior motives, is not going to find him. The Bible says God is never far from us, but we make ourselves distant from him. We create moral distances by bad behavior. We create intellectual distances by pride and arrogance, thinking we know it all. We create emotional distances when we have hatred and malice in our heart toward others. When we turn to God, he has promised mercy and pardon. The burden of guilt is lifted, mercy is extended, pardon is freely given. God's favor has always been predicated upon one simple thing, and that is repentance. This was the call of the prophets to Israel because of their apostasy against God to repent. This is the first call of the kingdom of God by John the Baptist and by Jesus to repent. This is the first command given to the people that cried out on the day of Pentecost. What must we do? And Peter said to repent. This is the message that Jesus gives about sudden and unexpected tragedy in life. Whenever we're witness to some tragedy that occurs, Jesus said you should not think about those people being worse sinners because they suffered that. You should look upon it as one of God's motivations for seeking him, repent, or you too will perish. God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Life is not about finding yourself. Life is about changing yourself, preparing yourself, growing yourself for another dimension of life. We need to look upon this world like another womb. It's a period of preparation to nurture and to grow our own souls for the habitation of God. And the gestation period for this preparation is just the length of your short life. But that's what it's for. Seeking God is putting our trust in Him. That's what this means. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Well, how much higher are the heavens than the earth? What we're looking at here is Alpha Centauri, which is the closest star to earth. It's only 4.3 light years away. 
The other stars you see in the background are eight light years away. Light years about six trillion miles. Put it in perspective, the moon is a little over one light second from the earth at 240,000 miles. The sun is a little over eight light minutes from the earth and 93 million miles. That means when you look at the sun, you're seeing it as it was eight and a half minutes previous. So if we were to travel to the closest star, Alpha Centauri, at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles a second, it would take us four years and three months to get there. Well, let's say we're traveling on the fastest spaceship known to man. Goes 18,000 miles an hour. It would take you a mere 25,000 years to reach the closest star. <laughs> Give or take a few days. <laughs> Can you see the power of the hyperbole that God has given? Just because you can't figure it out. Just because you don't understand it. You can't comprehend it. Because my ways are so much further away than yours. The stars. I'm fascinated by astronomy and science and anything that helps increase my faith and anybody else's faith in the word of God. Distance is so important. I want you to remember that statement. Distance is so important. We have the perfect distance between the moon and the earth, between the earth and the sun, between the sun and the galactic core between our galaxy and other galaxies. They have to be just exactly right. A variation of only 2% and we would be gone. We'd be wiped out. The brilliant Isaac Newton said after studying the solar system, he said atheism is senseless. Whenever you look at the distances and the perfect balances of the solar system, this could not happen by chance. Everything is positioned just right so that we can survive and live. And yet we take these things for granted. Well, the passage back in Acts 17, God is not far from each one of us. He is just the right distance so that man can find him and not be overwhelmed so that man can find him and he will not be disappointed in the search. He will not be too distant to escape us. He is just the right distance for the requirement of faith to be imposed. He's just the right distance so that freedom of will can be exercised. He is just the right distance so that sincere love can be demonstrated and expressed. God is just the right distance. One theologian said, only God's absence slash presence allows a person to be themselves. 
when we understand the impact of that, God is just the right distance from us. The mysteries of life provoke the question, why? Why me? Why this? Why that? Why do I have to suffer like this? Whenever our hearts are crushed with grief, well, why did this happen? Whenever our minds are filled with anxiety and confusion, well, why? Why is this? God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. One of the most astounding books in the Old Testament is the book of Habakkuk. The prophet is in a dialogue with God, and he starts off fussing at God. He said, why? Why do you make me look at this? Why do you make me look at all of this misery and anguish? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why do you allow the wicked to be triumphant over the righteous? Three times he asked God, why are you doing this? And God gives him the answer in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, the righteous will live by faith. And that becomes the passage that is the theme of the greatest and deepest theological book in the Bible, the book of Romans written by Paul. The righteous will live by faith. There's an episode in the Old Testament. A man who was a military general, he was highly esteemed. In fact, God liked him so much, he gave, granted him a victory one time. And this was of the Arameans. And uh, says the Bible says, but he had leprosy. Well, his wife had a servant girl that had been captured from Israel. And she said to her master, said, there's a prophet in Samaria that could heal your leprosy. And so Naaman was seizing any opportunity to alleviate this misery. And so he gathered gold and silver and gifts. He went to the door of Elisha the prophet. Elisha knew he was coming. He sent his servant out and said, go tell Naaman to go to the river Jordan and dip seven times and he'll be cleansed of his leprosy. Naaman went into a rage. He said, the audacity. That prophet didn't even come out to greet me. I thought he would come out and call upon his God, wave his hand over my skin and my uh, disease, and I would be healed. Aren't the rivers of Abana and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, far better than the dirty river Jordan? And he went away in a rage. And his servant pleaded with him, said, Master, if he had asked you to do something great, you would have done it. Why don't you just do what the man says? And so he prevailed, and he went down, dipped in the River Jordan seven times, and he was cleansed of his leprosy. But here was Naaman's failure, which is a failure of so many of us. Behold, I thought, I thought that God would do it this way. I thought the man of God should do this instead of that. I had to laugh when I was thinking about this because I had an episode similar to this. A number of years ago, I was permitted to go on this trip. I didn't have any money, but because of the friendship I had with this very dear friend, a Methodist minister, he made it possible for me to take this 
trip to the Holy Land. And we were on that particular day going down to the Jordan River. And he said, Dennis, when we go down there, I want you to baptize me in the river. And I said, well, Gaither, I'd be humbled and honored to do that. We got down to the Jordan River. And I said, well, are you ready, Gaither? And he said, well, wait a minute. This river just, you know, it's too dirty. I just don't want to go in it. <laughs> and I said, well, it wasn't too dirty for Jesus. He said, well, maybe it's cleaner back then. Well, I knew the story <laughs> of the name. And this man was impeccable. He was always dressed perfectly, his hair always combed, and just everything perfect. He said, we're going to the Sea of Galilee tomorrow. Baptize me there. And that's what we did. Well, Naaman didn't like the Jordan River, neither do my friends. <laughs> Why? Why? There was a massacre of Galileans by Pilate. There was a construction accident that killed 18 people. And they asked Jesus, well, they must have been worse sinners. Why did they die? They must have been more guilty. Why did they die? We're always asking <coughs> these questions. But the thing we don't realize is that Jesus is saying the randomness of tragedy, the uncertainty of life, are motivators for us to seek God while he can still be found, to reach out for him, and we only reach out to him when we're in extreme distress. Our life is a near-death experience, and living in this world is hazardous to your health. And we need to realize that. Buildings collapse. Accidents happen. Storms come. Viruses invade. Tsunamis strike. Tectonic plates shift. Disease comes. Our bodies declined. It's not easy being an organism in this world. And the reason God designed it that way was so that you might seek after him and realize you don't have any permanent residence here. He wants us to pause and lift our eyes above, above this earth. We can trust God. God is saying to us, when you don't understand why, trust me. When you can't figure out how, trust me. Whenever you can't Understand why you're suffering like you are. Trust me. Jesus said, when your heart is troubled, trust me. I've gone to prepare another place for you. Just as he prepared this place for us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We can confidently enter God's presence because of the blood of Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. We don't have to be timid about it. We don't have to be hesitant. Because of the blood of Christ, the writer of Hebrews says, let us now draw near, draw near to God with a sincere heart, not lip service, having full assurance of faith, not with timidity and fear, having our conscience clear and cleansed and our bodies washed with pure water. We're cleaned up to enter into the presence of God. 
The pure in heart will see God because that purity is not something that we achieve ourselves. It is something we receive as a gift. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. That's what does it. And the tense of that verb is a continuous action. Continually purifying us because we're continually contaminating our heart. Let's seek him earnestly with our heart, not with our eyes or our mind, but just in time of trouble or crisis, let us seek him now while he may be found. Life is our opportunity to prepare ourselves for the presence of God by removing evil from our life and putting our complete trust in him. Our desire in this church family is to help people and to help you seek God and find God in this brief journey of life. Let's work toward that end. That's what God desires us to do. Let's stand and sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other But we never...